Welcome to the Alberta Health Services COVID-19 podcast. In this episode, Dr. Braden Manns, co-chair of the Scientific Advisory Group, talks about the important work being done by SAG to support Albertans and AHS staff during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Manns. First of all, what is SAG? So the Scientific Advisory Group was formed by the Emergency Coordination Centre probably seven or eight weeks ago. And for the first four weeks, Dr. Zhao Hu was chairing it, uh, Calgary's Medical Officer of Health, and they largely were dealing with public health type questions because we were early in the outbreak. But it was realized that as we were moving into the hospital part of the outbreak, uh, and the hospital was admitting more and more patients, that we needed to, that, that the committee could be broadened and that we needed to put some supports under the committee so that they could, when they got a question, that we could bring together all the evidence very quickly within two to three days, and then bring the committee together, a multidisciplinary group of people who could make recommendations based on the best evidence and the collective uh, wisdom of the group. And what exactly does SAG do? The scientific advisory group reports to the Emergency Coordination Center, but actually they answer questions that are asked by not just the Emergency Coordination Center, but also the Personal Protective Equipment, the PPE Task Force, which is, uh, which is uh, directed by Dr. Mark Joffe, and also by Dr. Dina Henshaw, the Chief Medical Officer of Health. So we get questions from any of those three places. And the first thing that we do is just, because they're, they're constantly, each day as they're practicing, they're running into situations where they're not sure how to respond. Um, and so they're, they're asking, what's the evidence? What, what, what should evidence, how should evidence guide us in you know, how we respond to this? Um, so we work with them around clarifying exactly what the question is, and then we get a team of reviewers on it, a team of reviewers from the Strategic Clinical Networks and from AHS Innovation Evidence and Impact to get us a report within two or three days uh, that includes a full literature search, bringing that evidence together, and then we have reviewers from the committee um, modify the report and we bring it to a commit this committee. And later that day, we send out back recommendations to Dr. Henshaw, the Emergency Coordination Center, or Dr. Joffe to just help inform their decision making. Can you tell us who makes up SAG? SAG is a committee of about 11 individuals. Dr. Lenora Saxinger, an infectious disease uh, specialist in, at the University of Alberta, is the other co-chair. And then the group now has essentially added on to what the committee before was. The committee before was some infection prevention people, uh, medical officers of health, public health, a lab uh, expert. And now we've added on people that, that uh, would, would look after patients in a hospital setting. So we've added on critical care, we've added on emergency departments, um, experts in those areas, we've added on respiratory medicine, we've added on uh, general internal medicine, and we've also added on pharmacy. And uh, now we have a representative uh, from the Chief Medical Officer of Health area as well. So just a broad range of expertise that looks at data slightly differently. What was the catalyst to bring all of these people together to create SAG? Yeah, so it's really the vexing questions that you know, we knew nothing about COVID-19 three or four months ago. We had some experience from the previous SARS epidemic or from the MERS epidemic, but really our information about this virus is just growing week to week. The medications you might use, the ways that you could manage an outbreak. So I, I give kudos to Alberta Health and to Alberta Health Services 
that they actually felt it was really important to distill down the evidence that is changing week to week, but distilling that down to actually help them answer the questions they're being asked. So it was really in recognizing that every week we learn more about this, everybody is swamped these days and so if they could tag an external group to try to answer those questions and to have resources to answer those questions it was just going to allow us to to better respond to this pandemic what types of questions does sag investigate and why is it an important part of ahs well for instance when we when we started the burning question was physicians have started to prescribe hydroxychloroquine for their colleagues for other staff to take that hydroxychloroquine in the hopes that it might prevent healthcare workers from actually contracting um, COVID-19. So that was a question that we were starting to run out of uh, hydroxychloroquine. So that was a question that was brought to us and we were actually able to look at the information and say actually there's some risks associated with hydroxychloroquine. We knew there were some studies starting up. So we were able to make some fairly strong recommendations around that medication should really just be used in, in study settings right now, in the, in the context of a study. I mean, another example would be there's a huge concerns around healthcare worker safety, but actually when you distill down to what the evidence tells us, I think that should be somewhat reassuring to our healthcare workers. And another example is the Cargill outbreaks. Um, there was a lot of questions around should they be setting up quarantine or isolation centers? And if so, who should go into them? Just the, in, the people who are infected? How about people who are living in the, you know, who are close household contacts. Uh, one of the medical officers of health just called us in the context of these outbreaks and the question is, you know, somebody who's had COVID-19, do they have immunity? Can they get it again? Um, and actually this is, this question's come up before and we had just finished a report about 10 days ago on this because there's been, you know, discussion around this COVID passport. If you've had it, does that mean you're immune and you're able to go back out into society and interact normally? Um, and you can go back to work without any uh, you know, fear of, of getting COVID-19. And we do think that it probably uh, gives you some short-term immunity, but it's not clear how long that lasts for. And certainly, uh, if, you've, if you've had COVID-19, you should still be wearing personal protective equipment if you're in the hospital setting. Um, you probably still need to be taking care you know, when you go back to work. So the workers that go back to Cargill, somewhat reassuring for those people who've recovered fully, that they're less likely to get it again. So it's really rewarding to get a question that's really important to people and to be able to answer it really quickly to inform you know, how, they, how they move forward. So how does the work SAG is involved with fit into AHS's overall COVID-19 planning and strategy? SAG is sort of brought in um, by the groups that are making the decisions to advise them. And so we're not in the trenches making those decisions on a day-to-day basis, but we're definitely informing them. And through all of the reviews that we've done now, well over, probably well over 30, we are starting to recognize some of the really important unanswered questions that actually, even though they're not fully answered, they can still inform how we move forward. Like, can a person who uh, tests positive for COVID-19, but they're asymptomatic, can they transmit that virus? Are they actually a major reservoir of transmission? Uh, And although that's not fully answered, I think we can say they're probably not a major reservoir, but that has implications for who do you test? If you're positive but you have no symptoms, how do we deal with those people? Should we be wearing full personal protective equipment? 
healthcare workers rightly are concerned about uh, um, about their safety. So, uh, how do we deal with healthcare worker safety and using personal protective equipment when we're not certain if somebody's got COVID-19? They haven't been tested. They're low risk, but of course, you know, viruses can present in strange ways. So we've been able to just inform the response. Um, sitting as an independent group. At the end of the day, what is the SAG team hoping to find out? You know, we're not doing research per se. We're combing through all of the research that's been done, trying to find the best answer to inform, you know, the question that was asked. So we pull together information from media sources. We pull together information from old studies. I know we're looking at a question right now around does singing, essentially speaking very loudly, uh, can that produce, uh, can that cause transmission of COVID-19? And we've had to go back into data that came out of the 1960s around tuberculosis um, has been felt to be transmitted through singing. There's case reports of that. So we're, we're not just pulling information from the usual published sources. We're looking at information that are called preprints. So an article has been submitted to a journal. It hasn't been reviewed yet, but it gets put up on online. So we're having to look at the quality of that. And then we're also going back to this old literature from other similar viruses or similar infectious uh, agents and, and how they're transmitted. And we're trying to tease that all together. And as you can imagine, we still don't, you know, we were lacking really well, uh, high quality studies. And so we sift together, acknowledge the limitations and make the best recommendations that we can. And we highlight clearly where there's still remaining uncertainties. So this is less about new research and more about investigating existing research? That's absolutely right. Although I will say now, as we're getting further and further down the road, um, we are recognizing that there's some key uncertainties that we don't know how to manage outbreaks because of the following couple of reasons. And now we are starting to get involved in not doing research ourselves, but working with groups who are doing the research to clarify them, these are the answers we need um, and to help them design studies that can really can effectively inform Alberta Health Services um, uh, you know, about how we keep Albertans safe. Is SAG doing this work autonomously or given that this is a pandemic, is there collaboration with other similar groups across the country or around the world? So that's, that's a really good point. So the review actually starts by looking at what other groups around the world that are doing similar functions have already found. So uh, we, we do that, but the one thing that we've really learned is our committee has expertise on it, but we don't have all the expertise we need. So when we start a review, we reach out to groups within Alberta Health Services and outside within Alberta who do have those expertise. So we're often reaching out to Infection Prevention and Control, the provincial program. We're often now reaching out to Workplace Health and Safety. We're often reaching out um, to people within Connect Care who create order sets and we're saying, we've got this question. Do you think it's the, exactly the right question or would you tweak it slightly? And can you work with us on this review so that we take into account our expertise, but you know, more importantly, your expertise? Um, and, so that, and that also helps us when we're making recommendations to ensure that our recommendations actually align with the other provincial programs like infection prevention and control um, to make sure that we're coming up with one consistent message. And yes, we do work with research groups within the universities. 
uh, because sometimes we don't, you know, they've already started doing a, a, a review of an area and we can tag on to that. And if we're aware of people in other parts of the world that are doing something, we've, we've, we've worked in that situation as well. Are you finding that there is an openness and willingness to collaborate? Absolutely. Uh, we've learned a lot, uh, not myself personally, but colleagues working within the strategic clinical networks know physicians in, in Italy and, and they've been able to, to garner information just based on their experience from caring for patients. Um, and while you might say, well, that's not really evidence, that's a description. Well, actually, a lot of the evidence we're dealing with is the collective expertise that come from managing patients with these uh, types of illnesses. So it's, it's been helpful in terms of the strategies for ventilation. Um, so, so yes, that collective network of individuals globally has been really important. And what about SAG's work? Has it been able to be shared and support the work of other communities? Yeah, it's a great point. So we, uh, we're aware of a couple of groups that have been doing similar types of things, um, collating information. I would say that not many groups are doing it as quickly and adding recommendations on and updating as frequently as we are. So now on the Canadian Agencies for Drugs and Technologies and Health, they do reviews of technologies. They've actually got our reviews posted on their website. Uh, we've linked with a group at McMaster in Ontario. Um, we've shared this with ministries of health, uh, particularly in the smaller provinces where they just don't have the, the capacity and the resources to do this type of thing. Um, we've been in touch with a group in, in, in BC. So that, uh, one of the real advantages of having a single health system, Alberta Health Services within Alberta, is that you know each zone isn't having to do this, each hospital isn't having to do this. They can all feed their questions up to the Alberta Health Services um, ECC scientific advisory group and we can answer questions for them and send that back to them. How challenging is it to shift from normal research timelines, which are generally measured in weeks, months and years, to the immediacy SAG requires? It's a massive shift. It's a massive shift and we assign essentially a, we've probably got six people, you know, six full-time equivalents doing reviews for us on a constant basis and we tire them out. So when they're finished a review, we leave them alone for a little bit to recover, but we've got our assistant scientific directors, we've got PhD level scientists helping us. We have reached out to you know, the veterinary faculty at the University of, of Calgary. We've reached out to public health at the University of Alberta. So these are really uh, well-trained scientists that are doing these reviews for us. Um, and, and that just wouldn't happen outside of the context that we're in. So we're engaging, um, experienced researchers to help with the reviews and then we have committee meetings that are booked into busy people's calendars twice a week and we essentially the one job that I have as the co-chair is to force us to come up with recommendations in the context of a meeting we often come to close consensus can't quite get there so we send out a survey and a vote later on that night and Lenore and I uh, you know we we just finish it off by the end of the night so we've uh, not sure how long we can keep this pace up for, uh, but the one thing that's interesting that we've observed is within two days, you can pull together a pretty darn good report that may include, you know, you may be 95% of the way there. If you give people five days, they can get 97% of the way there. And, you know, if you give them two weeks, they can get 98% of the way there. But actually, you can pr produce very good results in a couple of days. As a senior medical leader watching all of this happen before your eyes, how does that make you feel about the commitment and dedication of your teams? It's absolutely amazing. Um, 
when I approached people over a weekend to ask them whether they'd be willing to add on to their work week, to, to meet twice a week for two hours, um, no one said no. Um, and these are busy clinicians often who are on call covering in the hospital and the attendance at the meetings has been amazing and when we approach people to as reviewers it's amazing how willing people are uh, to help out in this situation and again the reviewers are spending hours and hours and days and days uh, and they're very proud of the product and rightly so the product they bring forward is is amazing given the time constraints and the willingness of other, you know, of the provincial programs like infection prevention control, workplace health and safety, um, you know, people who create the order sets, it just everybody says, yes, we're willing to help. So you're absolutely right. It is amazing uh, what we can accomplish together. And what's the message Albertans should take from all of this work? Albertans should be very, uh, should take heart in the fact that their healthcare system has said it's really important uh, that evidence drives how our healthcare system acts. And, and as we've seen, that hasn't always been the case for other countries. And so the fact that, that we're sticking to what the evidence tells us and we're making the best decisions that we can following the evidence, that should really give some, some comfort to Albertans. Ultimately, how is all of this work helping to support patient care in Alberta? So the scientific advisory group is really informing those order sets that help physicians care for patients with COVID-19. So remember, two months ago, we'd never seen a COVID-19 patient in the hospital. So now they've created order sets to help physicians who are just learning. And there's been a steep learning curve, but I think we've really, the health system has been able to skill up its employees to really effectively deal with patients with COVID-19. So we're in fact, we're informing the policies that come out around use of personal protective equipment. We're informing the order sets that help physicians care for patients. There's new uh, continuing medical education activities going on multiple times per week and we've got regular slots at some of these uh, and the speakers that are speaking at these are often referring to these reports uh, because nobody, no, no busy clinician has time to go out and curry through all of the information. So it's sort of a one-stop shop we're creating to help inform clinicians and help inform Alberta Health Services and the zones how to care for um, you know, and that in the broadest sense, care for an individual, but care for a population, try to deal with outbreaks, all of the things that COVID-19 has been throwing at us. So what's the takeaway? What do you want Albertans and staff to really understand about the work SAG is doing? I guess the most important thing is that Alberta Health Services has recognized that getting evidence into care is their commitment. And they've set up the scientific advisory group to ensure that we can get evidence into care within days compared to the years or a decade that sometimes it takes. The other thing is that the commitment to setting up the Scientific Advisory Committee shows how committed we are to patient safety, but actually staff safety and in keeping our staff skilled up, supporting them, this is also part of the commitment and the reason why I think the Scientific Advisory Group was set up it's that quadruple aim, it's improving patient care and outcomes, it's improving the health of the population, but it's supporting our staff uh, and trying to ensure that the staff feel supported um, and, and have a, as best an experience as possible during what is really a very trying time. Thanks, Dr. Manns. You have been listening to the Alberta Health Services COVID-19 podcast. For the latest information on COVID-19, please visit alberta.ca forward slash COVID-19. 
Thanks for listening.